Okay, let's take our Bibles out. and We're going to open to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We're coming right up toward the end of it now. The first word in the passage that we read today is finally. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's a song called Stand by Rascal Flatts. It says you feel like a candle in a hurricane, just like a picture with a broken frame, alone and helpless, like you've lost your fight, but you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Because when push comes to shove, you taste what you're made of. You might bend till you break because it's all you can take. On your knees, you look up, decide you've had enough. You get mad, you get strong, wipe your hands, shake it off. Then you stand, then you stand. Well, the reason that I bring that up is that's kind of the the point that we're at in the book of Ephesians. In the first part of the book, he defined for us who we are. That we're children of God, that we're, we have this glorious inheritance, we have that Holy Spirit that comes in and indwells us. And then he went from there and says, because of who we are, our life needs to reflect that. We need to walk in a way that's worthy. And then remember, there's a one word that kind of dominated after that, and it was the word walk. And he told us that we were to walk in a way that was worthy of Christ, walk in unity, walk in holiness, that we were to walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And now at the very last part, he changes his word and he doesn't use walk anymore. He uses the word stand. Stand. And he uses it repeatedly. He uses it four times within these few verses. In verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. In verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. And so four times in this short little area, he used that same word that we are to stand. And the reason for that is, is much like that song from Rascal Flatts says, in life you're going to face some tough battles. You're going to face some hard times. You're going to experience sometimes, like he says, you're going to feel like you lost your fight. He says at that time on your knees, you're going to look up and you're going to remember who you are and what you have on the inside and you're going to stand. Well, whether that was intended for a Christian audience or not, I I don't know much about Rascal Flats, but I'll tell you what, that very much fits what we're dealing with in Ephesians. Because the fact of the matter is, is you, you recognize who you are in Christ, you put your faith in Him, you're going to face some battles and you're going to face some struggles and you need to remember who you are and at that time you need to stand. If you're going to walk through this life in a way that's worthy of Christ, there are going to be times in your life where you need to stand. That's the focus that He has for us in this passage here today. The general concept is that we take a stand. It's not unique to Ephesians. We find it throughout the New Testament. In Second Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 15, So then, brothers, stand firm. 
and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. In Philippians, he would also tell them in chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In Galatians, as he's right to the churches of Galatia in chapter 5, he tells them, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We find it throughout Scripture. We find it within our history. I'm reminded of Martin Luther when he was called to account for his faith and for his teaching as he stood for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. As he stood before them to give an account at the Diet of Worms, he would say, My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. And it's exactly that kind of stand that the Apostle Paul was again referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where he commanded us to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. If you were to put that in our vernacular today, you'd say, man up. We need to stand up. We need to be strong in our faith. There's a battle raging. Whether we recognize it or not, it's there. It's brought to our doorstep. It's not one that you can decide, I'm going to opt out of that. It's not one that you can say, I, want, I don't want to get involved in the battle. I like all the, the talk of faith and love and hope and all that kind of stuff, but I don't want to fight the fight. You can't. This is a battle that comes to, to your doorstep, to your everyday events in your life. And in those things, we need to stand. Well, as we look through this passage here, there's three different necessities that are pointed out for us to help us to be able to stand. The first necessity that we find is power. Because notice as he starts off the passage in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If we're going to be able to stand, one of the things that we're going to have to have to be able to stand is power. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11, he uses the same word. He says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You know, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, we call it the Hall of Faith because it's a looking back down through history, even from that time, and looking at the people of faith in the Old Testament and the things that they were able to accomplish through their faith. And it's supposed to be an encouragement to us to live that life of faith. Well, he says one of the things that we can see within their experience of faith is that they were able to quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So he's looking back down at like David against Goliath and all kinds of different things in the Old Testament. He's kind of summarizing them at that point. And he says one of the things in that list is they were made strong out of weakness. As we walk in faith before God, we get to be made strong so that we can stand in our confrontations. I think of another song, this one written by Rich Mullins with a similar and in his song, he makes it very clear whose strength he's relying on. In Rich Mullen's song, If I Stand, he says, So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, then let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who's longing for his home. The Rich Mullins definitely in his song recognizes that if I'm going to stand, it's going to have to be in 
His power. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of a thing. This is not a self-help thing. This is the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us and accomplished it for us. And then His Holy Spirit comes and indwells within us and strengthens us. It gives us what we need to overcome the temptations that we struggle with that would tempt us to destroy our life through the very sins that Christ died for. It gives us what we need to be able to reach out to people with compassion, even when we don't feel very compassionate. It gives us the strength to stand for the faith, to stand for the truth, for the Word of God. Even the Apostle Paul recognized that actually in his own frailty, within his own weaknesses, where he really got to see the strength and the power of God in his life. When you feel like you're in a place where you're weak, where you're vulnerable, take courage because it's in that weakness where God can show Himself most strong. It's when we're in those circumstances where we feel like we don't have it, where God says, now you're finally at a place I can help you. In my walk with Christ, I would say it's at those times where I feel the most unqualified that often the greatest victories happen. Lisa and I, I don't know how many times we've talked about this over the years, where it seems like on one area you're doing something, doing something, doing something, doing something, trying to make something happen, and you're not seeing a lot from it. And then all of a sudden you see some real blessing come out of out of the left corner of your eye or something. And it's like, well, can't take any credit for that. We weren't even doing anything there. And all of a sudden there's this blessing. I think it's just God showing us. And not that He doesn't want us doing those things. God just showing us, you know, it's not always about your work. I'm just going to bless you in this way. This is just in your weakness that I'm strong. One of the greatest, I think, Old Testament examples or passages that point to this is as you look at the end of one book and the beginning of another. And it really is the end of one chapter for the nation of Israel and the beginning of a new one. Moses is going to go home to be with the Lord and Joshua is going to be the new leader. The time of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is coming to a close and the time of going into the promised land is right at their threshold. It's right at this change in events that we see this really illustrated for us within the last words of Moses to Joshua and to the nation of Israel and within this first inauguration of Joshua as their new leader. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6-8, through it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is with the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now notice there's a few things that are being repeated here. There's the command to be strong and courageous. He's going to continue even more. From here all the way up through Joshua chapter 1, he's going to be told to be strong and courageous many times. And so he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And so both of those things are repeated. As he goes on in chapter 31 and gets to verse 23, it says, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. And then... When we get into the book of Joshua, which is the very next book in the Bible, in Joshua chapter 1, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That's the third thing that's that's repeated through these passages is that Joshua was to take the Word of God that was given to them through Moses and he was supposed to be in that Word day and night doing everything that he found within it. And then he goes on, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? And at this point, you'd have to answer yes several times. You've made that command. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know what? Jesus quoted that God would not leave us, nor will He forsake us. Hebrews looks back and and gives us the same encouragement that God will never leave us nor forsake us. The fact of the matter is, just as God was with Joshua... Just as He had been with Moses, God still tells us today, He says, I will be with you. Therefore, do what? Be strong and courageous. We have the power of heaven and earth to tap into, to access. You know, Joshua had the whole promised land right in front of him. But if you remember from 40 years later, they decided not to go into the promised land at that time. Why? Because instead of focusing on, and the Lord your God will be with you, they looked across the Jordan River and said, look at the size of those guys. There's the fortified city of Jericho right across the river. We can't defeat that. Those guys are huge. There's giants in the land, they said when they came back. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, but those guys are too big. We can't do it. And so, rather than focusing on the Lord your God will be with you, they focused on there's giants in the land and we can't do it. And now God's telling Joshua, and Jericho's still on the other side of the river, there's still giants in the land, the Nephilim. There's still all the same obstacles. If anything, the people have probably grown in population, so they're going to be facing bigger, bigger battles. And God tells Joshua, do not fear, be strong. Well, in our life, He's telling us the same thing. When you're up against obstacles, when you're up against hardships, when it feels like you don't have enough to be able to deal with it, you will. You just got to go to the source because the source is the one that has already overcome this for you. The source is the one that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and the victory is as good as ours. We're not living on the totally on the winning side yet. We get a taste of it in our salvation that we experience so far. We get a, an ongoing taste on it as we grow stronger and stronger in that salvation, our relationship with Him. As we're drawn closer and closer to Him, we're able to overcome more and more in our life. And that's the part we get to tap into now. But eventually, it's just going to be obliterated. And our enemy will be defeated. But right now, we need to walk in the strength that God has for us. He just gives us that same command that He gave to Joshua and Moses before Him. Be Strong. But it's not in your own strength. It's in the strength of the Lord. Well, not only do we see that we need power, but the second necessity that He puts before us is participation. It's participation. Because you know what? The fact of the matter is, is we can get so caught up in our daily events in life and that kind of stuff, and we can forget we're in a battle. If life is going pretty good, if things seem to be going fairly smooth, 
we can forget that we're in a battle. We forget about the confrontation that's out there. And here's the deal. If we forget about the confrontation that's out there, it doesn't mean that we're not experiencing it. It just means you're ignoring it. I'm convinced that often what Satan does to us is let us have our way. Let's us have some ease. Why? Because when times get tough, it tends to push us back to our focus on God and we realize that we've slipped a little bit and we get back on track. But when things are soft, when things are easy, then we just kind of drift toward comfort. We kind of like comfort. We like the status quo then. And there isn't anything really pushing you into your relationship with God. There's not, not that pressure, that tension that, that drives you to, to your knees in prayer or drives you into the Word of God to seek counsel. Because things are just kind of going smoothly. But you know what's happening is we're just kind of getting, you're getting lulled to sleep spiritually at that point. The reason I put uh, participation is because of verse 11. It says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You see, the point is, we can get just kind of caught up in going through the daily events of life, and we kind of addressed this a little bit back quite a while ago, and we forget that we're in a spiritual battle, and we forget who the enemy is. He, he tells us specifically, he says, look, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood here. We're wrestling with principalities, powers, rulers over this present darkness, which, remember, we're supposed to be the light in this present darkness. But we're wrestling with those kind of lures. But you know what happens is, as we get kind of just going through life and we get kind of lulled to sleep spiritually, is we forget about that spiritual battle. We forget about the internal quests for character within ourselves. And we start seeing our enemy as somebody else. And so we start having conflicts with people. And people become our enemies. I remember the president of the college that I went to at one time, he made this statement. And I don't remember the context that he made it in. But he just said, look, the people that are out there, They are not your enemy. They're the victim of your enemy. And I thought, how true is that? But the fact of the matter is, is if I take my eyes off of the spiritual warfare that I need to be engaged in, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's time to see a demon under every problem that you had. If you woke up, if you woke up late for work one morning or something like that, that's not the demon of no sleep. I'm not saying that. In fact, I think it's unhealthy to start looking for demons under everything. I want to find Christ in everything. That's where I, that's what I want to find. I want the demons to leave me alone. If I can find Christ enough, He'll deal with them. I don't want Satan to have that kind of glory. I want my focus or the glory to be going to God. But the point is, is we're engaged in spiritual warfare and we're going to deal more in the coming weeks about what exactly that means as we put on the armor of God. But... If we take our eye off of the fact that it's a spiritual battle, then the people that are around us that happen to come into our life at a frustrating moment become our enemy, and we end up treating them as the enemy instead of the actual enemy. And we're having struggles that are not the real struggle because we're focused on the wrong thing. You know, to the person that's not really interested in the, in the spiritual warfare, then the things that we use to battle it are just kind of cumbersome to them. It's like, it's like having armor on when, when there's no fight to be fought. Right? It's, think of the, the old knights and the armor that they would wear when jousting or in a, in a battle or something like that. If they're not in the middle of a battle or jousting, there's no point in them having the armor on. Nobody would ever wear that stuff unless you absolutely needed it in the battle. Well, that's the point. If we're not engaged in spiritual warfare, if we're not cultivating spiritual strength, the power from God within us, then you know what happens? Things like prayer that Paul mentioned at the end 
become cumbersome and and not we don't really engage in it. Things like the gospel, things like our salvation, things like our faith start to drop off. Things like the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, starts to drop off out of our life. Why? Because we don't recognize the battle. Then those things become cumbersome to us. Just like that armor does. But the problem is, is as we're not recognizing the battle, it doesn't mean Satan has given up. It doesn't mean that he's not still waging that warfare. You know what it does mean? It does mean that when he comes after us, he finds us asleep and a very easy target. And that's what brings us to the last part. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, he said that he pointed out that the, the, those principalities that are waging the warfare that we're talking about in chapter 6, he pointed out in chapter 2 that we used to walk in those. We used to live in those or under that influence. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, we used to be on his side, but Christ has pulled us over to the other side, and now we're on the winning team. But the problem is, if we don't recognize that that battle's still going on, then we get kind of sucked back into it. Well, that brings us to the last point. And the last necessity that we see within this passage uh, actually covers the whole rest of the passage, covers verse 11 and then and verse uh, 13 and following, and that is preparedness. Preparedness. In order to fight a battle, we've got to be ready for it. You know, I, I think of... Uh, when you think of the physical realm, which this is being compared to, a physical battle, you've you got to have soldiers that are ready. You've got to have soldiers that are equipped, that have the right weapons and, and the right warfare. In fact, when you, when you look back at it, that's crucial. A lot of major wars have been fought by which team, which side got the best equipment first. You know, I was reading about it a little bit yesterday and, and uh, or last night, and and the Civil War was won predominantly because of a rifle that was developed. This rifle, what is it, the Spencer, and it held seven rounds. It was the first time that we had rounds in a, kind of like we have today. They were in a copper casing that was loaded into a magazine that was put within the gun, and it was a lever action, and it could shoot seven shots without having to prime each shot. The Henrys and the other ones before that, from what I understand, had to prime the shots. The Henry rifle might be able to, if you're doing really good, would have been able to, and those old ones would have been able to get off maybe three shots in a minute. This one could unload all seven in a minute very quickly, very easily. And so all of a sudden, when the other side, when the, when the South come marching against the North, and they would get fired on one, one round of shots, and then, then they would charge because they're expecting that the other team, the other side, the north is reloading during that time. So you have a time where you can advance and all of a sudden all of these bullets come flying their way. And the battle was pretty much won by the north. In fact, it could have been won two years earlier because the gun was ready two years earlier. But you know what? The people making the decisions on that gun said it would waste too much ammunition. So it's kind of like I remember I worked with a carpenter before that the air nailer was just going to be a waste of time all that time rolling out air hoses. <laughs> but it was just going to waste too much ammunition. You know what? The battle, the battle was won by the North because they were better equipped because they were the first ones to get that, that ammunition. And that uh, the South, when they'd get their hands on one of those rifles, they were like, those rifles are amazing. But as soon as it was empty, it wasn't any good to them because they didn't have the bullets for it. 
But that's what did it for the North. You know, I, when we went to Hawaii several years ago, we went to tour uh, Pearl Harbor. And that was one of the things that was interesting to me because Pearl Harbor was mainly lost because the Japanese were ahead of the game on their aircrafts. Japanese was the first one to say, you know what? If we go from, because before that, all of our big wars were, were um, the main artillery, the main thing that really uh, swung the battles was your destroyers that you could park off the coast of somewhere and launch uh, missiles over onto there. And these big destroyer ships was, it, was what was winning the battles. But the Japanese decided, you know what, if we went to air, if we went to air and we attacked by air, we, we could have the jump on them. Air was being developed, but it wasn't, nobody was really using it to that level yet. The Japanese jumped to the, jumped to the sky and just annihilated Pearl Harbor. And then what happens? And then we go to something else that's new. The atomic weapon. The atomic bomb. And we go to Hiroshima and we put an end to it all together. Both of those victories, because one side was better prepared than the other, well, that's what when you look at this, put on the whole armor of God. He says, he repeats it twice. Once in verse 11, once in verse 13. Put on the whole armor of God. In other words, have everything you need. Be completely prepared. That's what wins in spiritual warfare. Having these things, the salvation, the gospel. And, and not only that, but he speaks about them as we look at it in the context here. He speaks about them having them. In other words, you have them already. Notice as he begins to list a few of the things, he does it with about the first half of them, and then he changes the tense of it a little bit on the last half. But he says, Therefore take up, in verse 13, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given with the gospel of peace. You see, he's saying, look, you need to already have these. You know what, That's a, a lot of our failures come because we decide it's time to put on the belt of truth at the moment of the failure, at the moment of the battle. He's saying, no, you need to have already put that on. Have already experienced this faith that can quench every fiery dart that Satan has to hurl at you. You already have that. You see, that's... That's coming prepared. And that preparedness is what's going to save us. If we wait till we're in the middle of, of struggles to find, try to dig in and find out what the truth of God says about those struggles, then we're coming too late. That's why we need to be cultivating these things in ourselves all the time. So that we always have on all the armor. So that when Satan comes and he fires those fiery darts, we already have our shield of faith up. We already have our belt of truth on. We're already in the Gospel. We have the helmet of salvation. That's what we need. We need that preparedness. And that's exactly the point that he's making. is that Without that preparedness, we lose we lose those battles. With that preparedness, how many darts will that shield take out? All of them. All of them. But we've got to be in, have all of that armor on all of the time and be bathing that in prayer all of the time.
And so as we look at it today, is there, as you walk through your walk with Christ, as you strive to, to walk in a manner that's worthy of Him, that's going to require you to take a stand. You're going to have to stand and stand firm. Now you can do it. And this isn't a self-help you can do it. And this isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can do it. But you can do it as you tap into God's power in His strength. You can, you can do it as you participate in the struggle. Recognize that it's going on. Take, take an active role in participating within that struggle. Don't go to sleep. Don't fall back on your haunches and wait for Satan to, to hit you with something. You hit first. And, and you can do it as you're prepared. As you're putting on, or maybe I should say as you're having on, the full armor of God already available to you in Jesus Christ.